Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus, do life together, get in the game, and leave a legacy. We hope this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith. Subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now let's get to this week's episode. Part one of this series, we talked about how if money could talk, it would say this, own me or I will own you. Part two, we talked on how if money could talk, it would say, I will always go wherever you send me. Last week, if money could talk, we talked about, actually, I don't remember what we talked about last, last week. Use me, wise, uh, use me wisely. And fourthly today, if money could talk, I want to talk to you uh, from the subject title today, Get Your Theology Right. Get your theology right. Now, here's the thing, right? When some of you hear that word theology, some of y'all are like, yeah, Pastor John, talk about it. Get that theology right. And some of y'all are like, oh, God, he's going to talk about theology today. Right? Because some of y'all are like, oh, my God, theology is so not for me. You know, that's for, like, seminary professors. You know, they, they, they're the ones. Don, that's why we pay you. We pay you to do that theology. Why are we talking about, like, why would money say get your theology right because the truth is this you do theology so here's right theology is simply theo it simply means god ology simply means study of or thoughts behind so you have thoughts about god you have a certain view of god you have certain thoughts about god the bible scripture and so it's not if you do theology, the truth is you do theology and everybody is, everybody does theology and everybody is a theologian. Everybody. Now some of y'all are like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know about that. Well, here's the thing. If I asked you the question, who is Jesus? And you give words to actually respond to that, you're doing theology. Because here's the thing, if I came up to you and I said, who is Jesus? Well, which Jesus are you talking about? The Jesus of the United States culture? That just says, yeah, just, I'm here to make you happy. I'm like a genie. Just say the right words, say the right equation, and this Jesus will give you whatever you want. Are we talking about the Jesus of the Mormon religion, who is Satan's brother? Are we talking about uh, the Jesus of Islam, who just really believes that Jesus was just some ordinary guy, not a, uh, you know, the son of God, just a prophet? Like, what Jesus are you talking about? And how you respond to that actually shows, like, you're doing theology, so I don't want us to get mixed up with the thought process of saying, I don't do theology. You do theology. It's just the truth is you have good theology or bad theology. And that's, that's not real, real fun because, honestly, I think the church in so many ways has failed people in, in, in this particular area because we have wanted people to feel good, but sometimes teaching good theology doesn't mean you feel good. 
And it's, it's, it's really just like parenting. Like if I just went to my kids and only gave them things they like, <laughs> I mean, they would have Mountain Dew for breakfast and cereal and McDonald's. Like if I only gave them what they wanted, how malnutritioned and how undisciplined would they be? But if I'm a good parent, I'm going to think about what am I actually feeding them. I don't want to give them what they want. I want to give them what they actually need. And sometimes I think within the church, because we have been, we've wanted people to feel good. Because here's the thing. People have a lot of, here's the thing. When you talk about money in church, it's not a good relationship. Let's just be candid. A lot of times when people hear the words money and church together, that relationship is very dysfunctional. Because of what people have seen and they have experienced in churches, they have seen a church that has basically used people to get money. You've, you have got pastors where have tried to build up their own brand and have tried to just gain, gain followers so they can get a financial blessing. And, but then the church has even said, well, just do this and God will give you more. So they've almost tried to, to, to you know, do you see how that relationship, money and the church can be strained? And why some people would, you know, and, and really honestly, why some churches might be like, oh, I'm not going to teach on, you know, because I just don't want people to feel bad. But here's the thing. You do theology and you are a, the, a, the, a theologian. And the thing is this, whenever you break down kind of the two big extremes between, or when it comes to like the two extremes when it comes to God and money and theology of money, kind of the big two thought, the two big thought patterns out there are the process are the prosperity gospel and the poverty gospel. And the prosperity gospel essentially says, it's kind of just like, hey, like if you rub, G, you know, if, if you're going to do the right things and, you know, if you're a Christian, like, yeah, like God's going to give you more because he likes you more, right? The poverty gospel is, it's kind of like, man, you know what, God, do you know what, Jesus, once, once you poor, he was poor, so since he was poor, you should be poor, and the poorer you are, the more righteous and the more holy you are. And it's, and it's kind of like these two theologies come from the same book where people have taken this book and gone, and gone into it and said, well, I think, you know, I think God would want this. So they go into the Bible and they try to find what they want the Bible to say. And then they go and they teach it and people follow it. But honestly, right, here's the, here's, here's the thing. Since you are a theologian and you, it's not if you do theology, but when you do do theology, I think it's important for you, if you want to do good theology, you've got to have some principles. And so this is not a theological class, but I want to give you three main theological principles that if you're going to be a good theologian, and, and I want you to be a good theologian. I want you to think rightly about the Bible and what scripture says and what it says about God and money. So I want to give you three thoughts really quick to be a good theologian. Ready? 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 Number one, scripture interprets scripture. Scripture interprets scripture. Let me tell you why, why this is important. This, this simply means this, that when we see something in scripture, we interpret the implicit by the explicit and the cloudy through the clear. This, one, this means we don't take one scripture verse and define a topic by that one verse. You get the totality of scripture and put it together and you find the common thread. For example, right, some people have said the, the Genesis story, Adam and Eve, that, that, was, that, that was all a fictitious 
story that just kind of like was was representative of hu, of humanity. There wasn't talking snakes, Adam and Eve. They were just kind of representative of the human culture. Okay, Jonah, like people can't survive in fish. John, that's a bunch of no, like that's a cute story. I'm gonna tell my kid it because it's important. But did that really happen? Well, Jesus mentioned them. So the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all record Jesus' teaching about Adam and Eve and Jonah. So then you have to say, are we going to interpret these stories through what I believe? And like science, you know, science, science, people can't survive in fish. Miracles, no, just not true. Well, if Jesus mentioned them, I'm going to go with Jesus. Why? Because I want to interpret those, those verses that might be tough to handle and tough to respond to through the fact that Jesus actually mentioned them and actually taught from them. So that, that is why I'm going to let Scripture interpret Scripture. And if Jesus was God as, as a human being, and he was the word of God, the physical representation of who God is and what God's like, and he used them to teach from, I'm going to go with him. And I'm going to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Does this make sense? Because this book can be very hard to interpret sometimes. And I think because it takes work, a lot of us don't like work. Well, why didn't the Bible just clear? God should just make it clear. Why is there even Christians that are fighting over it? Have you met people? We were trying to form a line yesterday at, at the community day. Just a line. And we had like 25 people. Adults. And we're like, make a straight line. And we couldn't do it. And we're wondering why scripture's hard to understand. Humans are gifted at taking the clear and complicating it. Because we have this desire to be God. We have this desire to be in charge. And we wonder why sometimes scripture can be cloudy. Is it possible that we just make it that way? Okay, second one. You read, read from the text, not, not into the text. Where some, see, the, the problem is, is that some people already have their opinion of what they want Scripture to say, and they go to the Bible to confirm what they want it to say. So they read into it instead of from it. Instead of taking their preconceived and proclivity or their, their preconceived notions, be, instead of taking their cultural, um, their, their cultural formations and their ingrained proclivities to Scripture and submitting them to, to Scripture, they take them and they actually say, let's make Scripture form to say what I want it to. That's reading into it instead of reading from it. Here's the thing. This is where we get the prosperity gospel. People within the United States, we love money, we love affluence, we love wealth. It's the bottom line, right? So people go to the Bible and they're like, yo, Abraham was rich. Abraham. Solomon. Richest man alive. He was God's king. Neglecting the fact of Solomon 
wrote the book Ecclesiastes and, and didn't deny himself anything and basically said it's all meaningless. And his conclusion of it was fear God and keep his commandments. Because all this living I've been doing has only made me more miserable because God wasn't at the center. But they go into it saying, we like money. This is the culture of the United States. Let's, let's go. And I mean, I've heard people say Jesus was rich. Let me tell you how. Let me, let me tell you how. The soldiers gambled for his coat before he was crucified. Jesus was rich. He probably had a baller coat on. Y'all, I'm not kidding. This is stuff that I've heard to say Jesus was rich, so we should be rich too. We crazy. Humans can be crazy. So read from the text, not into it. Thirdly, context is king. Context is king. One of our favorite scripture verses, Jeremiah 29, 11. Come on, y'all. You, you know you've got something in your home with that scripture verse on it. You, you got a coffee mug. You, you, you got a greeting card. Right? You've been, you know, here's the thing. Graduates, this is y'all's verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Woo! I receive it, Lord. But let me bust your bubble. Because the context there in Jeremiah 29 is that there was actually, right, God's people, Israel, had turned their backs on God. They had false prophets prophesying crazy stuff, but they had essentially turned their backs on God and they were doing their own thing. And so verses before this, the prophet Jeremiah came on the scene and essentially said, your life is going to suck for 70 years. You're going to be dispersed throughout the world. You're not going to have your own nation. You're not going to be your own people. You're actually going to be having people come, and they're going to just destroy your nation for 70 years. We don't talk about that. But then he says, but God's saying, I, I remember I know the plans I had for you. Plans to give you hope and peace and, and posture. That was God's ultimate desire for them, for them. And I'm not saying you can't say that. I'm not saying you can't proclaim that. I can't, I'm not saying you can't, you can't receive that, but don't take it out of context. Do the work. Put the scripture in context. Find out what was going on at that time period, who it was spoken to, who spoke it, and you'll actually see the power behind it of basically Jeremiah was saying, your life's going to be hard for 70 years, but don't give up because God has a plan. That's so much better than, ooh, God just wants to prosper me. Because if you put it in context, that's more like real life. Life is hard. Some of y'all have experienced this. But if you fight through, I believe that God has a promise and plan through all of the hard stuff. Right? So context is king. All right, three things. Scripture, interpret scripture, read from the text, not into the text. Context is king. Everybody good still? All right. Because people don't do this, we've developed extremes. Like I said, the prosperity gospel, where God wants you to be rich. If you aren't, you're missing the gospel. That's what literally they believe. The poverty gospel, God wants you poor. If you aren't, you're missing the gospel. 
Let me tell you where I've got a problem with, with these two, two things. Is the gospel doesn't need help. The gospel does not need something to make it better. Because the gospel is good enough. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. You turned your back on God because of your sin. And scripture does paint a very good picture here. He says, all have sinned. Basically, sin is a churchy word for saying you've done your own thing instead of doing what God wants. And fall short of God's glory. And the wages of sin is death. But Jesus came, and it was recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. We said Jesus came and lived a life you could not live, a perfect life, died the death you should have died in your place and for your sin. He didn't just die for you. He died as you in your place and for your sin. And then Scripture confirms by eyewitness accounts Jesus rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, it was because sin, which equals death, he didn't sin, so death couldn't hold, couldn't hold him down. So he rose, and basically he, he won life for everybody that will accept it. And that is the good news. Gospel simply means it is news of what has been done. It is not the good news of what God will do, although that's a part. The gospel was saying this is good news of what has been done and what is available for you. And it is the fact that you can receive forgiveness for your sins and be in right relationship with God. That word righteousness, it simply means right standing with God. Meaning that when he sees you, he doesn't see what you've done. He sees what Jesus did. When God sees you, he doesn't see your past. He sees who you now are and who you will be. That doesn't need help. That doesn't need be rich too. That doesn't need be poor too. The gospel does not need help. It is good enough. And if Jesus never did another thing for us, the fact that he died in your place for your sin, rose and defeated Satan, sin and death, and gives it to you as a free gift that you receive by faith. You can't earn it, you receive it. If he never did another thing, you have, he has done enough. So, it ticks me off whenever I hear people say the prosperity gospel. Like, yeah, Jesus died on the cross, sin, yeah, that, that's great. But, you know, you got to be rich, too. Or you got to be poor. The gospel doesn't need help. So, here's the thing. Those are the two extremes that I see, and I just want to share, share with you briefly from these extremes, when, when I take into account the totality of Scripture, what, is, what does God want for you, though, money-wise? Does he want you rich? Does he want you poor? Does he want you begging on the sidewalk? Does he want you living in a 14-room mansion? Like, what does he want? And what I see in Scripture, because here's, here's, here's the truth. Some of y'all are going to be rich. Some, some of y'all aren't. I hate to break it to you. I hate what some daggone YouTube video said, do these three steps and you'll get rich. You've tried that. It didn't work. Right? But, but here's the thing that I see in Scripture. The gospel, which is the good news of what Jesus Christ did, it's not prosperity. It's not poverty. It is the gospel that leads to contentment. And I struggle to say it's not the prosperity gospel. It's not the poverty gospel. It is, it is the contentment gospel. I didn't want to put contentment at, I didn't want to put contentment at the front because the gospel doesn't need help. 
But the gospel, I believe, leads to a life where you have this contentment inside of, of you. And here's the thing. I want to show you and prove this to you. And here's the thing, right? This word content in the Greek language is the Greek word, okay, uh, uh, man, I, I stink at saying Greek, Greek word. Autarkis, right, which simply means this, sufficient. Inward state of happiness that isn't dependent on outside circumstances. It's where you're happy with what you have. Basically, it's saying it's, it's, it's this spirit, it's this thing inside of you that cannot be taken or shifted based on what goes on out here because inside you have this satisfaction that cannot be taken. Here's, here's the thing, right? Can we all stand up? We're going to do, do something we've never done. We're going to stand up for God's word. I'm, I'm going to actually read to you four sets of scriptures that really, here's the thing, I believe set the path for this, the gospel that leads to contentment. So here's the thing. I'm just going to actually read these to you. And then from these four scriptures, I'm going to give you three, four thoughts. All right, this is Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. This is Paul. He's talking to the church in Philippi. He planted. He says this. He says, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me. Again, I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 8. Again, this is Paul. He's speaking to his pastoral protege, Timothy. He says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. That's it. Y'all can go home. Like, that, that's all we needed to hear today. So if, uh, I'm, I'm just kidding. Please don't leave. Uh, so if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. This is Jesus talking now, Matthew 6. He says this, so don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of who? Unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you what? need. You can be seated. Four thoughts. Number one, the gospel that leads to contentment. First off, contentment is learned. Contentment is learned. And let me just tell you this. If you are not proactively seeking contentment, our culture will make you the most uncontented person in the history of people. You are constantly being reminded of what you don't have. You are consistently being 
reminded your stuff isn't good enough. You're consistently reminded you need a better kitchen. <clears throat> Kristen. Um, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Love you, baby. HGTV is the devil. I'm just kidding. I just had to throw that out there. It's ruining men's life. No, just kidding. HGTV. It's, it's going to DIY. Jesus, help me. Do you know who you married? I can barely screw a board together. Like, it's going to be a pay someone to do it. No, but contentment is learned. And I love what Paul says here. He says, I have learned. He, he, he didn't say, I came out of the womb with this down. He says, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstance, whether it is, and he even said it. He said, I've had everything. I've been balling. He, was a, he, was, he came from a very wealthy family where they put him in the best schools. He, he was wealthy, but then he says, I, I know what it is to have a, have a lot, and I know what it is to have nothing. And then he says, I've learned. He even calls it the secret of life. Everyone wants the secret, right? He says, the secret of life. He says, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. You have to enroll in the school of contentment, y'all. And this has to be an intentional direction because if you are not intentional, unintentionally, you will be consumed by the tsunami of our culture that is consistent. I mean, just think about the marketing messages we receive, ev- the thousands of them. Your car sucks. Your phone sucks. Trade them in. Get better. Go into debt. Just, 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 you know. And it's like, if you are not enrolling in the school of saying, how can I actually strive to be content? It will not happen by its own. He says, I've learned. I know what it is to have a lot. I know what it is to have nothing. But then he says this, and, and, and this is the second point. He says, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This is a verse we take out of context all the time because it's kind of become this kind of just like mantra we use when we can't do some, something. Like Tim, Tim Tebow. Like, how many times has Tim Tebow said, I can do all things through Christ except play quarterback, you know? It's like, how many times did Tebow say that word, right? And if you're a Tebow fan, he's on the Jags now. I'm a Jags fan. I love Tebow. I'm a Tebow fan. Don't, don't, I hope he makes the team, just not as a quarterback. As a tight end, I'm down with that. But here's the thing, like, he had Philippians 4.13 on his eyelids, on his kind of, kind of like, those black things. You know, you know, you had people holding up signs for him. He couldn't play quarterback. No matter how many times he said, I could do all things through Christ. Because that, ver- that verse is not something you, that, that just kind of becomes a chant you say when you can't do something. The context here that Paul is saying is that if you have a little, you've got Christ. If you have a lot, Don't forget you have Christ. He says, I've learned how to be content, and let me tell you, I've learned how to be content with whatever I have because it's not what I have, I know who I have. And he says, whatever lot my life leads to, if it leads to wealth, if it leads to not a whole lot, I know I can live whatever kind of life comes my way because of Christ who is my strength. So contentment is found 
and this isn't popular, in the sufficiency of Christ. The sufficiency of him. And that is why if you don't treasure Christ, you'll treasure something else. If you are not intentionally treasuring and savoring the beauty and magnificence and marvelousness of Jesus, then you will put something else there. And let me tell you what will happen. If you put something or somebody else in a place that Christ should only be, you will misuse whatever else is there. Because you cannot rightly handle or steward something if the somebody isn't in its place. Because you will, you will, what, what's the word? Idolize your kids. And you will have anxiety and stress and worry thinking you own your kids. Those kids were given to you as a gift by God. They're not yours. You're a steward. That doesn't mean be flippant. But that means ultimately if you don't put Christ at the center, you'll put your kids there. And your life will revolve around your kids instead of revolving around Christ. If you put your bank account, if you savor and marvel at that above Christ, you will use Christ to get money. You'll spiritualize it. I'm just going to wait till I get more. And those zeros become something that don't satisfy you. Then, then, you need more, then you need more zeros. Relationships. If you put relationships where Christ should be, you, you will misuse relationships because you will put people in, in, in a position of being something that you think will fully satisfy you. And people are finite. They will fail you. But if, and the thing, if they're not rightly placed and they fail you, you'll demonize them. But if Christ is first, if Christ is center, then where, then where you'll see people as, they're not something to serve you. You're called to serve them because Christ is serving you. Christ has got to be, for contentment to be at the center, Christ has got to be there. Thirdly, I love whatever Paul says here. He says, contentment is wealth. In 1 Timothy 6, he said, godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. I think we've got to be careful to understand what true wealth is. And I think in our society, we need a redefinition of what wealth is. Now, Facebook is not the place to, to, to get theological knowledge. But I did see something that I really liked. So I'm going to show it to you. Now, it's not the exact wordage, but I think it kind of comes close. Okay, I mean, look, so here's, here's the thing, right? How we're taught to measure success, like salary and a job title. When, I think this is definitely a lot better measure. Where instead of saying I'm setting success and what, and, and it kind of like what true wealth is as being the center, you know what? You can have as much money and be freaking miserable you can have as much money as you want and hate yourself and hate your job. Like you wake up hating your existence, but have your bank account full. Is that wealth? You can have wealth and you hate your spouse and your spouse hates you. Is that wealth? So here, here's what I'm saying is like you, you've got to get to a point where you actually see contentment as being one of the most wealthiest positions in the world. 
Why? Because there is no dollar that, can, that, that is worth a troubled soul. Even Jesus himself said this. He said, what does it matter if you gain the world and lose your what? Lose that part inside of you. So here's the thing. As you seek contentment, you, you got to realize as you seek contentment, you're actually seeking one of the most treasured possessions in the world. That even scripture, that even Paul says, contentment is itself great wealth. Lastly, contentment in Christ means having your needs met. Now, here's the thing, right? Jesus, Jesus said this, seek first the kingdom and he will give you everything you need. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to give you everything you want. Dwayne said, say it again, so I'm going to say it again. Contentment in Christ means the promise that Jesus gave is that he will give you everything you need. But we've got to make sure we have a good, a good, different, a good differentiation of what a need is and what a want is. And people have even taken this scripture way out of context. Because they, um, and I mean, honestly, it's just like there's a, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. <laughs> and y'all, some of y'all know what I'm saying. Because it mean, to them it means boats. It means vacation homes. It means Benzes. It means really nice houses. It, you know, it's just like all these things. And when you actually check the context of what Jesus was saying, do you know what he actually specifically mentions? Food and clothing. Basically saying your basic necessities. And really the promise Jesus said is seek first my kingdom and I'll ensure your basic necessities are taken care of. But how many of, you know, for many of us, that just doesn't do it no more. And here's the thing, I'm not trying to throw guilt, I'm not trying to throw shade. Look, when you're talking about money, the thing I'm not trying to do is, to, is, is accusing. I'm being very careful not to be very specific in saying what you should do. Because the Spirit of God, I'm trusting the Spirit of God to speak to you to say what I'm saying, how it translates practically into your life. Because we all have steps we take. We're not all just suddenly transformed into Jesus himself. We go through something called sanctification, which is basically the process, and it's a process, of you becoming more like Jesus. I'm praying that as I give you principles, the Holy Spirit will guide you in then how you should apply these principles specifically to your life. It could be a step for you just, just to say, I'm going to actually intentionally give away 2% of what I bring in. That could be your step. It could be a step for you to actually say, let me make a budget. It could be a step for you to say, Lord, today I give you my finances. I'm not trying to just give you. So, no, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to, to speak to you and say, how can you practically take these steps of us seeking contentment? What does that practically look like for you? It could be you. You have three boats. Maybe you need to sell two of them and give the money to someone. And that would be a step for you. Right? I don't know who you are. If you got three boats, I'll take one and sell it. And then we'll give it to church. Now, 
but 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 like here's the, here's the thing. I wanted to be careful today, not not to just get, you know give you a bunch of do's and don'ts. I wanted to give you principles, so then you can say, how can I take this and how can you apply it? But the promise that Jesus gave is this: He won't always give you what you want, but He promises to give you what you need, and that could be naturally, it could be supernaturally, it could come through through the church here. See, here's the thing: that's why you have a church family. Like when you are part of a church family, it is the family, it is the church family's responsibility to come beside you and ensure you have your basic necessities met. Is that is is that Jesus? I hope so. But honestly, right, some of us we can forget the fact that we're just not called to worship together in a place publicly. We're called to take care of of each other practically. And I have seen this happen within our church many, many times. There was one specific story. There was a gentleman who was a part of a small group, and he was going through a financial trial. Lost, I mean, just basically $1,200 in the hole. And a guy sent out a text message to, like, five guys, and $1,200 was there in, like, three minutes of saying, we, we got you. And here, here's the thing, right? Like, that's... That's what the church is called to be, y'all. Like, we, we are called to ensure, if God has given you extra, the extra is not just so you can do extra things. The extra could actually be so you can help somebody that doesn't even have the basic necessities in their life. It's all about steward, stewardship. Here's the bottom line. Not poverty, not prosperity. It is the gospel that leads to a life of contentment. And contentment is learned. Come on up, Jarvis. It is found in Christ, is wealth, and leads to the Lord giving you what you need, not what you want. Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or said yes to Jesus, please reach out to us at LifehouseNN.com or text 757-690-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next step in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us online next Sunday at 9 a.m. or 1030 a.m. at LifehouseOnline.com or in person for a live worship service at 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. at the Kiln Creek Regal Theater in Newport News, Virginia. Visit LifehouseNN.com for more information or to RSVP for a live service.